Hi, I'm Rhys T. Matthews, and this is a very special episode of the podcast Queer Margins. This year marks the 45th birthday of the invaluable resource Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. Switchboard has been helping all people LGBT plus since it opened in 1974. The helpline was founded to answer all sorts of calls from where can I find a gay bar in Windsor at 2am to more serious issues including talking people through breakups, being an ear for people who have lost loved ones and helping people when they're at the lowest point. Switchboard runs on a tiny budget and it's only because of committed volunteers who work tirelessly all year round that this lifeline has managed to stay open 365 days a year for 45 years. The people who work there are available to take calls from 10am to 10pm every day of the week on 0300-330-0630 and through Instant Messenger. And to mark the anniversary, their co-chair Natasha Walker spoke to me about the kind of things Switchboard are faced with today. And I also spoke to some people from previous and future episodes of Old Queens who have worked at and have called Switchboard over the years, including Janet, Femi, Julian, Tony and Andy. So... Here's Natasha. So I can take you right back to 1974 when we started as Gay Switchboard. Then the names went through a series of different iterations from London and Lesbian Gay Switchboard to the most recent one, which was Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. Right. So that was a couple of years ago. So we went from being London, lesbian and gay switchboard. We wanted to change lesbian and gay to LGBT plus to show that we are here for everyone within our community and move with the times. Language has evolved so much more than when we were established back in 74. We are a national charity, so we removed London. So we're just switchboard. I would have been there in 1982 to 86. Well, utterly, utterly vital. 24-7. That phone rang all the time. If you wanted a week, you took the phone off the hook because it was the only way that call wouldn't come through it was invigorating you knew that you it was needed it gave you an immediate social group of course and as a support network if you needed that as well I started at 7980. I was on switchboard until the mid to late 80s and then I had a couple of years off and then I went back in the late 80s until the mid 90s. I think I started working at switchboard and I think it would have been about 1976. In the autumn, six or nine months after I came out, partly because by then I got to know most of the London scene and I knew some of the volunteers uh, so the interview process wasn't difficult at all, and I became a volunteer, so we do phone shifts. Have you noticed a growth in people who aren't lesbian and gay uh, calling and getting in touch? Yeah, so definitely. Well, I mean, it's difficult to answer that because I suppose maybe the question is better if we say, have we seen an increase in people calling about trans and non-binary issues right. or gender as opposed to what it would have been before because words and language has evolved to allow us to understand what words like genderqueer or non-binary mean, non-binary femme, trans woman, trans non-binary and you know all of the other parts of those umbrella terms and with that language comes people who can identify with it but really we've always had calls that focus around sexuality and gender identity there just wasn't the language that we have now to discuss it which is really important and really positive but at the same time not to go off on a tangent too much but with the availability of language which is being promoted by the press by the government by organizations by lobbyists Mm -hmm. by activists it's fantastic but unless we've got those support services to help people once they decide they might be one of those 
types, you know, like labels or decide to give themselves that label, if there's no support for them, whether that be to government cuts from the NHS or lack of funding, then, you know, what's that language really doing? So, yeah, I think it's a fine line. And I think what's really important is we're pushing forward with the changes and equality within our communities and in, in the greater world. But we also need to push forward with grants and with funding, with mental health services and support services so that people who understand those terms and attribute themselves to be part of those communities or sub-communities have that support necessary. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, we all know our own version of coming out, whether that be I am queer, I'm a lesbian, I'm trans. That's always then opening up a bigger conversation. Coming out is often the first step of a much longer process. Yeah in understanding what's going on Mm -hmm. with it for yourself, I think. It was kind of widely advertised in Spare Rib and, and, you know, the the feminist or lesbian publications that there were at the time, there weren't a huge amount of them, but you you just knew they were there and had the number. When I came to London, came back to London, I should say, to work and live, by that time I didn't have any friends in in London. So it seemed like a good way to get to know people and and put something back as well. Like a lot of volunteers at the time, and probably still now, you have a sense of wanting to give back to the community, really, that the help that you got has put you in a position where now you are competent enough to offer that to someone else. And and because Gay Switchboard is quite unique in that it's uh, staffed by lesbians and gay men who have all gone through the coming out process and we all have a common ground. And that makes it quite a unique service because when you phone up, you know that you're actually going to be speaking to somebody who's also gay. Why do you think Switchboard was so important back then? Uh, It's an absolute lifeline. Some people were smart enough to look in the phone book. I would never have thought of that back (laughs) in those days, really. I just didn't even occur to me that I could look up gay in yeah. the, the phone book at all, really. Now, of course, you'd go to the internet and just go click, 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 and gay, and you get swamped by everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, in those days, you, I didn't, you know, you search through the Encyclopedia Britannica for references <laughs> to homosexuals and stuff. But it's a lifeline. People would find it in all sorts of ways. Um, and there was a phone number they could call. They got through, they might talk to you or they might not. You may not. You, often you would have a call that was a silent call that people had got as far as being able to phone the number and now couldn't actually bring themselves to say anything. Mm-hmm. And you'd spend time coaxing someone to talk and encouraging them to phone back if they don't speak to you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it was just um, a vital link, really. Mm-hmm. Some people who might be in the middle of nowhere, 50 miles from the nearest gay club or pub, they're not going to meet anybody. What is the typical day of a volunteer of someone, let's say, who's on the phones? We ask you to do maybe like three hours every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's 18 hours okay. a quarter. That's yeah. called the minimum commitment. So you'd only do a phone shift for three hours right. um, or an instant message shift for three hours. Because the variety of the calls and the types of calls you might be taking, it can be really intense. Mm-hmm. And you need time to process them. So a phone call, you know, you may have a shift where you don't get any calls. Right. But you may have a shift where you get three calls which are all an hour long. And they're really personal and might be a bit upsetting. And, you know, it's it's important that the volunteers have space to be able to take time out and, mm-hmm. and properly give themselves some recovery period as well. And do you have, like, regular callers as well? Yeah. Or people who, like build a relationship with somebody or yeah so we have this thing at switchboard where we're confidential Mm -hmm. and it's anonymous so you can give your name and they can ask for your name and it's up to volunteer whether they give their real name or not or whether they give their name at all Mm -hmm. 
but we don't keep any data on someone, so we wouldn't keep the telephone number that they contacted us from. Right. So we would only know someone was a regular caller if they identified as such. Yeah. But there are people who contact us on a regular basis, and you know, people often do shifts that maybe around the same time. Yeah, and there's been people who've been calling for years now, mm-hmm. and that might be because they're working through a lot of issues it might be because they might have mental health issues Mm -hmm. um or it might just be because they're lonely and like someone to talk to what kind of phone calls do you get yeah the phone calls at switchboard are probably as varied as you can like imagine in any kind of conversations not necessarily lgbt plus focus but just everyday issues that people have but yeah there i mean the the classic ones coming out calls Mm. you've got People questioning their identity, whether that be to do with their sexuality or their gender. Um, you get a lot of calls to do with isolation and loneliness. This is really, right. really huge part, mm-hmm. um, a really, really big part of something that faces our communities. Um, and then you get people who are calling with like family issues, maybe to do with faith. Mm-hmm. Um, Occasionally we get calls about domestic violence. Such a range, really, because you'd have the practical information calls, you know, what club, what bar is open tonight, what uh, pub disco is open tonight, I'm new to this town, what's going on in this town, blah, blah. So that whole London information service across the country, because we had files on uh, all the towns and cities, which we try and keep up to date. And then you'd have people who wanted to talk to somebody gay because they were thinking of coming out or they weren't sure about the sexuality. And then you'd have hoax calls who'd phone up and lead you, say, oh, I think I'm gay, and then you get ten minutes, five minutes into the conversation and they call you queer and uh, abusive and hang up. Um, and others who would phone up and just shout at abuse down the phone. Often it'd be groups of people, and then uh-huh. you just actually ask to speak to the person whose idea it was to call, <laughs> and then you just tell them to call when they're on their own because clearly they are gay. And they would. Often it is the case, really. The person who's leading the most leading the group on termophobia is likely to be the one who's desperately trying to deal with their homosexuality. It worked for you. It was an incredible thing. And did it take a lot of time as well? It didn't have to. I mean, it did for me. A couple of my lovers, my long-term lovers, I met at Switchboard because I lived and breathed it. So, yeah. Uh, But it didn't have to. You just had to do a shift once a fortnight Mm. um, and a night shift once a month. I called Switchboard some years before at the end of a previous relationship and spoke to a really nice chap and we talked for ages and he made me laugh and I think I probably made him laugh um anyway he invited me to a party and it was probably completely against the rules (laughs) I went to this party and um it was astonishing it was in this huge mansion house yeah it was um it was different and there were other women there there were other women there and I'm sort of halfway through the evening when the dancing got really phonetic people start start taking off their shirts and the women were taking off their bras as well if they were wearing a bra um (laughs) I mean I wasn't completely naive up from the country but I was a bit surprised so what did you call for I think I called because I was my heart was breaking Mm -hmm. I was having an episode of I'm so lonely and it's not fair and I want to talk to someone about it. How do you get funding? Like, what's your main income? Our main income was funding from the NHS and the government. We okay. used to get £50,000 a couple of years ago. That was cut because the majority of it came through from sexual health services, so like HIV support. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the government cut that because they didn't deem it that the support was still necessary. Yeah. So this is like four or five years ago now. 
So I and mean, that was was that your biggest like part of it as well? Like, yeah. So we were really cheap. Um, <laughs> we cost now we're between seventy to ninety thousand pounds a year. Whoa, is that it? Yeah, and that was fifty thousand pounds. I can't. Rem- I wasn't on the board when we had that funding, so I'm not sure of the exact yeah. figures. But yeah, significant, huge amount of uh, money. So, but so now we have these different corporate um, partnerships that that you have which will last like three years or a couple of years we recently just um skittles just raised over thirty-one thousand pounds for us Whoa. from their the sale of their yeah. rainbow list packets which is amazing and just like blew my mind away mm-hmm. at, at how much money they raised and as you as i just said like such a significant amount of our running costs but the majority of money that we get is from donations and legacies so people leaving money to us in the oh, world. okay yeah um but yeah like the problem the problem as well with this which is probably something to highlight, is that because we are a volunteer-led organisation, the accessibility to those grants, because of the time that it takes to write those applications, it, it's a full-time job, really. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah. So you're like, you're missing out on money because you don't have enough money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really difficult, ongoing conversation within the organisation. But mm. And it must be so tough to like get... Because those, like you were saying about, like, donations and people leaving money in wills, like, that only happens, like, like you know, that's nothing you can rely on every year. Yeah. Like, so Yeah, you've got your regular donor, but well. that person could cancel it at yeah, any exactly. time. Of course, that would be absolutely fine, you know. But, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. I think I would say the majority of our money comes from from fundraising, yeah, mm. from internal, like, community fundraising or people's people leaving us money. Yeah. We do have these, yeah, like, the Skittles partnership and... The previous three years, we had a partnership with Interlaw, which is an um, LGBT law society. So that's like uh, an overarching group that mm-hmm. covers the majority of the legal legal firms in the, in London. Yeah. And they have a thing called the Winter Carnival, right? Um, which is a fundraiser that they do every year. And for the last three years, they donated mm-hmm. the money that they raised through an auction to Switchboard. And stuck a, um, a little collecting box in my hand that said, go in there and collect for Switchboard. And of course, I was just like this total little novelty thing that gave me money. I didn't always have any trousers on to get the money out of, but those that did were quite happy to give me money. <laughs> What is the strangest phone call you've got while you've been on the phones then? I think uh, probably the classic prank calls or wank calls. Oh, fuck. So, um, prank calls, a bunch of kids, um, yeah. one of them answering the phone, saying something like, gay, you love dick, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> something really inventive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we still treat those calls in the same way that we would treat any call. Mm-hmm. And that's just saying, you know, we're always here to listen take your time and if you want to call back one day yeah. and you never know like why yeah. are they calling switchboard exactly I mean I doubt many people ring the Samaritans and prank call them no you know yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah. interesting and if they've heard us then maybe one day they'll contact us and then you have people who contact us um, and we call them wank calls and that's where they are ringing for alternate reasons fuck <laughs> off yeah <laughs> I think it would be um, very difficult to find a helpline that doesn't have those sorts of calls. Oh, my God. No matter what your helpline is about. Oh, what's the matter with people? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes, well, obviously those people have got something yeah. going on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we will challenge those calls with a right. small C. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you think someone's on the phone and they're pleasuring themselves then you know we would train our volunteers to say that please don't do that yeah totally um if you want to talk about something then Mm -hmm. 
we can help. Give us a call back when you're in a yeah. different state. Use very medical terminology. <laughs> okay, right, okay, like boring cold water. And then what's the most rewarding call that you've been on? I've taken lots of rewarding calls. I've taken lots of difficult calls. The most difficult call I've ever taken is where someone was, thought they were transgender, um, but they hadn't transitioned or hadn't identified themselves as such. And they were just so upset. They were just crying and crying and crying. I was on the phone for maybe... An, an hour and a half, two hours. And at the end of it, it did feel... They did seem calmer, but it's that putting the phone down and not knowing what happens to that person after. Likewise, I had a conversation with someone who identified as Muslim um, and, a gay, and gay, and they had this conversation with me, and we talked through so many different things, and at the end of it, he just said, well, you know, I, I, now I'm just going to get married, and that's what's going to happen, and I'll just be in the closet forever. It was just heartbreaking. And then on the more positive side... We've had people who've called back and said thank you, mm-hmm. and we've had this one time at Pride, a man came up to the Pride stall, to the switchboard stall, and said, thank you, you saved saved my life, and walked away. And it's just such how you get a moment like that, and you have, or even just on a phone call with someone, and they just say at the end, it's like, thank you, you've really, you've really helped, just makes everything all worthwhile someone who was feeling suicidal I think it was probably the end of a relationship and I talked to her for a long time on the phone and didn't know what to do because she was saying I've got the pills here I'm going to take the pills I'm going to take the pills and I think I jotted down a note for because you're always on on the phones with two there were two of you what should I do and I think she said try and get an address and we're calling an ambulance and poor woman, you know, she obviously didn't have a friend in the world that she could talk to about it. Uh, so she found us. The person had taken whatever he'd taken and now was uh, panicking about it. And because, of course, he's on the phone, he can't, he doesn't know what to do. So getting the other volunteer who's on shift with me to get on the phone we had in the office to phone the ambulance and me trying to get a sense of where this person was in order to get them help, that sort of thing. So keeping them talking on the phone so that they don't pass out and it was well that call was fine actually because in the course of the conversation i actually heard the ambulance people arrive but that was just that was one of the most hair raising and then other calls where people phone up and say thank you so much i'm so happy through switchable's help that they got over this and that and whatever and they've moved and they've found gay friends and or found a partner and whatever <laughs> and they've just phone up and say thanks can I join? So what is the process of training a volunteer then? Because I've heard it's long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's long. Um, but it's important that it's long and yeah. it's rigorous. Um, okay, I guess I'll do like a, a brief overview. Mm-hmm. So you'd apply to be um, a volunteer via an application process, which you can do through the website, yeah. switchboard.lgbt. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're accepted, we'll, you'll then have a Skype telephone interview. Right. If that goes okay then you'll be invited to an information session which is hosted in this lovely training room that you're in between now <laughs> um, and uh, it's sort of like where we uh, our trainers will give you the 411 the reality of what being a volunteer at switchboard is we we found um in the way that we used to do things we'd have people pass the interview and then they'd get onto our course and then they started to realize what it was to be a volunteer and we'd have a dropout Right. And that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with saying, actually, I don't think this is for me. I don't think I can do it. Uh, but it just helps us pool our resources a bit better. So we have this information session to sort of really tell people what it's like to be a volunteer. And then you can make the decision or not to go further. Yeah. So that you then have um, what we call our 
core acceptance training courses, so CAT courses. That's either seven evenings on a Wednesday or four Saturdays. So yeah, they're, they're a mixture of discussion sessions, breakout groups and role plays. So mm -hmm. going through the motions of having a conversation okay. on the phone with different volunteers, with two different service users. And then after that, there's an assessment. So say you pass all of this, yeah. you then become a, a trainee volunteer and you'll have a personal trainer who will sit with you on the first uh, series of calls that you take and you can listen into their calls. You have to do up to 30 hours as a trainee. Then once ratified, you'll become an official volunteer. And what would you say to people who are like, thinking about joining as a volunteer? Oh, do it. Yeah, I'd, I'd say do it. You will learn a lot about the gay community, you will learn a lot about yourself, you'll learn a lot about other people and you'll be able to, in a way, develop and strengthen a sense of community because let's be honest, and you can quote me on this, we use the word community a lot but it doesn't always feel like it is a community these days. There's still isolated lesbian gays out there who are frightened to come out. You know, years and years and years of oppression don't go away overnight, do they? I've been aware of Switchboard for a little while now, and I had no idea of the breadth of work they do. I think one of the most shocking things I found out when talking to Tasha is how much they do with such little money. And as she said during our conversation, you can donate to assist Switchboard in helping as many LGBT plus people as possible by going to switchboard.lgbt slash support dash us. And if you want to become a volunteer, you can by going to switchboard.lgbt slash volunteer. Switchboard have also recently catalogued their archives, which includes all of the logbooks their volunteers used from 1974, which makes for really fascinating reading, and it's available at the Bishopsgate Institute. And again, if you need to talk to anyone about anything, there's no issue too big or too small, and you can reach them on 0300-330-0630 through Instant Messenger, which can be found on their website, switchboard.lgbt, or by emailing chris at switchboard.lgbt. Thanks a lot for listening, and the second part of the Old Queen series will run from next week. Thanks. <laughs>